Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. We are making tracks. We're going to get into the end of Romans chapter 14 and then to look at Romans chapter 15. There's only 16 chapters in this book, so I feel really good about how far we've come in the time that we have shared together. And uh, I'm also excited about the things that we have learned. Take a look at Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, let us, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for one to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Messiah did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. If you take a look at chapter 14, verse 19 for a moment, you'll see how these sections fit together. In verse 19, look at how he concludes. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Then look at chapter 15, verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, the, what ties the, this section together is the word edification. It occurs, by the way, in the letters 18 times. Paul utilizes them 15 of those 18 moments. So this is an important concept to Paul, to encourage, to build one up. If you see in, in chapter 14, verse 19, he says, to do that which leads to mutual edification... And in chapter 15, verse 2, to build him up. Those are the same Greek words as translated differently in our English text. To build up, to lift up. That is Paul's concern. Now, here's another interesting thing about the way Paul writes. He has said nothing new in the verses I have just read. All of those concepts, all of those themes, he has repeated not once but twice in Romans chapter 14. That we are not to be judging one another. That we are not to be in disputes about things that are disputable. We are not to bring judgment on those that may not agree with us on every issue that we might deem important. But rather what we are to be united on is edifying each other. Building one another up. Encouraging each one in the walk of faith that God has initiated and unleashed in every individual. And it's not just about individuals, but Paul is also concerned about what goes on in the body as a whole. That we are building up our body through mutual edification and encouragement rather than tearing down one another or our body by those things that are disputable and not to be held in such high 
regard. It is true, we can tear one another down. In fact, Paul has said that in these verses. We should not destroy the work of God that is going on in each one's lives because of the things that we deem important to us. Now, I could go through a lot of things that we deem important, and probably by the time I'm done, everyone's gone. Because everyone's going to say that is critically important, but I'm going to take a risk and see if you'll hang with me for a while. I am one that values human life. I am one that opposes abortion. But how one addresses that issue is a disputable matter. Not everybody needs to be out on the picket line outside abortion clinics and standing in the way of people who want to take advantage of what the law permits them to do. We may hate it, and indeed I do. But it is not for us to judge one who says, I'm out there, man, and I'm not letting anyone through me. And someone else that says, well, I'm not comfortable with that kind of posturing. That's a disputable matter in my book. A disputable matter is one that enters into politics. There are those of us who would like to see the Democratic Party not just voted out of office, but not even in existence. You know, that's the way some of us feel. I know already I can hear how quiet it has gotten because you know where I'm headed. But that's a disputable matter. That's what's so wonderful about living in a democracy. That's what's so wonderful about living in the United States. Freedom of speech. You can speak your mind. If we lived during the time of Paul, it was not a disputable matter. You lived under a dictatorship. You could raise your voice, but you would pay the price. We think that because we live in the society we live in, that we are in a different era than what the scriptures speak to. But it is a disputable matter. And we should not be dividing on political lines. Now, you may disagree with me on that. But it's interesting how Paul does not address those issues at all. What he is concerned about is that we build one another up in the work that God is doing in our lives. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he talks about the same thing of building the building that God is building. And he uses three imagery. I'm, I'm referring to Ephesians chapter two. And in that imagery, he tells us that what God is building, think about this, is number one, a kingdom, a nation, We could say he's building an empire because what Paul tells us is we have now become citizens of the kingdom of God. In the first century, of course, to be a citizen meant to be a citizen of the Roman Empire. And that was something that was of limited privilege. You know, in Rome alone, in the first century, 75% of the inhabitants of Rome were slaves. They were not citizens of the Roman Empire. It didn't matter where you were born in the Roman Empire. You were not necessarily a citizen unless you were born of free parents who were citizens in Rome. It was a privilege to be a citizen of the Roman Empire. Paul tells us that what God is building is an empire of his own. book of Daniel speaks at great length. Empire is a strange way to think about it, but I'm trying to put it in first century terms. It is a kingdom that he is putting together. We are citizens of that kingdom. If we know Messiah as our Savior. 
That's one of the images, an empire, a kingdom. What's neat is that Paul's understanding of edification and being built up comes right out of the words of Yeshua. Because in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter makes that great confession, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The Lord says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And therefore, he says on this rock, Peter, uh, Paul, Yeshua makes reference on this rock is the phrase I want to get to. I will build. There's the same word. I will build my ecclesia, my called out ones, my congregation. God is in the process of building his kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom that he is building. And the imagery that Yeshua uses is very critical for us to understand. Because for years when I would read that verse, I would see ourselves as sort of hunkered down. And here is that which God is building, that which Messiah is building as a hunkered down entity. That nothing can penetrate. So we come into our congregations and we worship and the world is out there. We close our doors, we close our windows, and we sing to ourselves and to God, to His glory. A good thing to do. But what Yeshua tells us is He's building His body. Why? To storm the gates of Hades, He says. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Gates do not move. See, I always thought the gates of Hades were sort of coming after us. And we had to hunker down in our congregations and be wary of these gates that are after us. We have to be careful in our society and make sure that we're in our own private schools. In our own private clubs and home groups and Bible studies. Where we are hunkered down against the gates that are attacking us. But that's not the imagery Messiah provides. He says he's building a kingdom to attack the gates of Hades. We're the ones that are supposed to be on the move. Gates confine. Gates imprison. Gates hold back. And the gates of Hades are holding back the lost. It is our responsibility as an empire, as a kingdom that God is building to storm the gates of Hades and to let the captives free. But what do we do? We come under our own gates and we hope the world doesn't hurt us. We hope the world doesn't affect us. We hope that our values aren't distorted by the values of the world rather than going into the world and challenging them on their own turf. And hoping in the process some would come out of those gates and find life everlasting. If we're going to be doing that, we cannot be disputing among ourselves over disputable matters. We have too many important things that the Lord is telling us we are to be about. And that is to win those who do not know Him. Go into all the world and storm the gates of Hades. And so he says the Lord is building His body. For what purpose? So we can enjoy each other? Not a bad thing. Is he building his purpose so we can get fat on the word of God? And so we go to our Bible study groups and we study and study and study and we get fatter and fatter and fatter? No, the Lord is building his body that we would be a kingdom of warriors to go forth to the gates and tear down those strongholds that are confining the lost. Someone did that for us. 
Someone told us about the good news. Someone brought us out of that darkness. And now it is for us to go forward to do the same to the peoples of the world. So we are to build one another up. Why? Because the Lord is building his body. And he's building his body as a kingdom. He's building his body as an empire. But not only that. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, he's building up a household that is members of the family of God. John chapter 1 tells us that we have been given the authority, the right, the privilege to become children of God. So we are to be building one another to storm the gates of Hades. But we are to be building one another up because we are a family that is to be in love with one another. It should be a place where there is compassion, a place where there is grace, a place where there is understanding, a place where there is giving the benefit of the doubt to those who need to receive it. We need to be a place where we're not fighting over disputable matters, but rather seeking to be a place of refuge, a place of peace, a place of harmony, a place where God is working among us like we would think of our own families. And thus Paul says, That he's not only building an empire or a kingdom of which we are citizens, but he's building a family of which we are children and brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers as well. He not only says that, but he says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we, that that which he is building is also a temple. And he says it is a sanctuary where God lives. That's an incredible phrase, don't you think? To think that God lives here in our midst. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He lives in our heart, to be sure. But our problem in America is everything is about me. Everything is about what benefits me, what I need, and what I desire. But what Paul talks about is not me. He talks about us being built into a temple, a sanctuary, block Upon block, the foundation is the apostles and prophets. And then we get slid into the walls and structures. And we become a habitation for God himself. The reason why people who come into Beth Ariel find the Lord is not because the preaching is so great. It's not because the music is so exceptional. It's not because the people are so friendly. It's because God is present. And he wins them to him And thus what Paul says is we are to be a sanctuary in which God lives and breathes and moves and shows up and makes himself known. And so Paul says in Romans 14 and 15, we then, how could we attempt to tear down the work of God that he's doing in our individual lives and in our collective congregation. We have to be very careful because Paul says it is God's work. And what he's doing in your life and mine may not be pleasing to you or me, but it is his work. And when we tear one another down, we will find ourselves enemies of God in his work in your life or his work in my life. We are to be building one another up because God is at work. Now, let me say a few things about building things. First of all, the important thing about building things is that you need a blueprint. You need to know what it is you're trying to build. 
We know what God is trying to build. He's trying to build people who glorify Him. He's trying to build people that manifest His presence through whatever talents and gifts and spiritual gifts and abilities and skills He's entrusted to them. God is conforming us into the image of His Son. That is what He is about in your life and in our congregation as our whole. So there needs to be a blueprint of what God is after. And His Word tells us what He's after. He wants us to become conformed into the image of His Son. Not only do we need a blueprint... We need to know where we are going. And we at Beth Ariel, we need to have an idea of what we're striving for. We're not just looking to do one service after another service after another service. We're looking to do what God would have us to do. He needs to make himself or make his will known to us with respect to what his vision is for Beth Ariel. We know what his vision is for us individually. Be conformed to his image. But what's his vision? What is God's desire for Beth Ariel? That's the blueprint. We need to listen to his voice to learn. But not only do we need a blueprint as to know where we're going and what it is we are building, but we need to have a firm foundation upon which it is built. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there is no other foundation that can be built than Yeshua the Messiah. That's the foundation we have to build Upon Yeshua himself said, I will build my congregation on this rock. A lot of dispute about what this rock means. Does it refer to Peter, his faith, Yeshua? Probably all three. And we can't get into why all three, but Peter certainly understood it referred to Messiah. Because if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, you will see that not once, not twice, but three times... Peter makes reference to the fact that Yeshua is the rock. He's the stone. He'll quote from Isaiah 28. He'll quote from Psalm 118 as the chief cornerstone. And he'll quote from Isaiah chapter 8. That he's a rock of stumbling, a rock of offense. Yeshua is the foundation upon which we we must build. It is not Jewish tradition that we build our foundation, though we might love it. It is not the music. It is not the dance. It is Yeshua himself who must be our foundation upon which we build. And so how do we learn about Messiah? How do we learn of him? That's our third thing. We need a blueprint. We need a foundation. We need materials. We need something solid to work with. And what do we work with? It's the word of God. Paul tells us in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, easy to remember, John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is inspired of God. It is God-breathed. It's God-produced. It's his word. And it's good for rebuke and reproof and for correction and teaching and righteousness. So where do we get our materials from? It is the word of God must be preeminent. And we must learn it. We must study it, not just read it on occasion or even read it regularly. We must scrutinize the meaning of its words and what the Lord is trying to communicate to us. Now, I know for some, reading is a hard thing. I know for some, reading is not fun. I was privileged as a young person to enjoy reading. I enjoyed it so much that I was in elementary school. The first thing I ever stole was a book. It was out of a library. 
I felt guilty when I found the Lord. I found that book. I returned it to the elementary school. They said, what book is this? I don't want to talk about it. Just take it. But ever since then, I fell in love with reading. I just love to read. I understand there's not a lot of people that feel that way, but I'm sorry. But God revealed his word to us in words. You have to read. That's the bottom line. There are a lot of tools out there to help you in the process. You can listen online to books or to the scripture. You can buy CDs with the word of God. But there is no excuse for any of us to say, I can't get into the word because I don't like to read. I don't have a translation I can understand. There are 50 billion translations out there. Just pick one. Just put your hand in the pot. Take something out. It'll probably help somewhere along the line. But the word of God tells us all scripture is God breathed. It's not our experiences. It's not what we hear from the pulpit. Not even what you hear here from the platform. It is God's word itself. That it are our materials. To build on the foundation that is Messiah in order to accomplish the goal of seeing the blueprint of what the Lord has, not only for our lives, but for our congregation, come to fruition. And then lastly, it takes time. Nobody becomes a disciple of the Lord overnight. All of us take time. I'll never forget sitting at Dallas Seminary under Charles Ryrie in one of his classes on dispensational and bibliology. Sounds like a title of a class that he would, he would teach, doesn't it? And he was teaching us about sanctification, how it is that God makes us like his, his son, his Messiah, our Messiah. And he said it takes three things. The first is one must experience regeneration. You must be born again can't even begin to experience what it means to be a disciple of the Lord until we experience the new birth. So we need to surrender, come out from the gates of Hades and say, Lord, I will embrace you. Secondly, it's the work of the Spirit of God as he works in our lives, as we encourage one another and build one another up, as Paul is saying, as we study his word. And thirdly, he said, it takes time. It's a building on one Stone on top of the other. No child is born and becomes a mature individual. If you've raised children, they never become mature individuals. But no child, none of us, has come to where we are now because it happened like this. Some of you hear when I share and they say, how does this guy know this stuff? Well, I've walked with the Lord for 40 years. If I don't know some of this stuff, I am of all people to be... Just, uh, I don't know what the word is. What's the word, Bob? Cast away. Whatever it is. If I don't know anything after 40 years of spending my life studying God's word, there's something wrong. If I spent 40 years studying plumbing and I couldn't help you out with your water condition, there's something wrong. You're in the wrong vocation. There's just something wrong. If I, didn't pr- if I practiced violin like Miriam, or if I sang like Deb or danced like our dancers, I'm not saying they've done this for 40 years. I don't even know if they're 40 years old. But if they did that for 40 years and still didn't know where the A was on the neck of the guitar, there's something wrong. So it isn't like some mystical, magical thing. It's that 
It takes time to learn God's Word. It takes time to understand what's going on in it. It takes time to apply it to our lives. And that's why we have to be building one another up. Some people here found the Lord only like months ago. And we expect them to walk like they've known the Lord for 80 years. Remember, it took Moses 80 years before he could lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. We might have said, Moses, what, 80 years? What's wrong with you? But that was God's plan for him, and that was God's timing for him. Some of us go real slow. Some of us go a little faster, but all of us need time. And that means we need to be patient with one another, and we need to be encouraging one another along the way. Let me say one final thing about encouraging one another, for that's what Paul is talking about. He says, in encouraging one another, we are following the example of Messiah in Romans chapter 15. Remember what Messiah did. He gave up himself, Philippians chapter 2, and he took upon himself the form of a human being, and he became a servant. When we are devoted to building one another up, that's another way of saying, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to be for you. Not that you would do what I want you to do, but I'm here to encourage you and to build you up. That's what Messiah did for us. Think of his disciples. What a motley crew he had with them. Like I said a couple of messages ago, he told them to go to Galilee. They don't get there for a week. If it was you or me, we'd say, these people aren't listening to me. It's been a week. Forget about them. I'll find somebody else. But that wasn't the Lord's way. He, in fact, met them where they were in Jerusalem. He condescended to them. And then eventually, they made their way to Galilee, and he met them there as well. One last thing. In 1 Kings chapter 6, very interesting what we read of in the building of the temple by Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 6, we are told that no tools were used in the building of the temple on the Temple Mount. I don't think any other building has ever been built that way in all of history. But the temple was built without tools on the Temple Mount. In other words, when the Workers went to the rock quarry. They chiseled out the stones. They labeled them and marked them. So that when they were brought to the temple, they would naturally fit together. And there was no need for the clanking of hammers or the uh, pushing of, of uh, crowbars and that kind of thing to get the, the blocks into place. In other words... The building of the temple on the Temple Mount was a quiet operation. The people that lived around there probably didn't hear a whole lot of commotion. They would have heard some because there were thousands of workers. There were pulleys that were being used and there were stones that were being pushed. But there were no metal tools used on the Temple Mount to construct the temple. It was all done in the rock quarry. That's sort of what our lives are like and what Beth Ariel as a congregation and all congregations are like. The building up that God is doing is oftentimes a silent process that we don't see. 
and that we don't hear. We sort of turn around after some amount of time and we say, you know, when I was back there, I was there, but I'm not there anymore. I'm here. How did I get here? It wasn't a very noisy affair. It was really a slow, gradual process of change. The clanging and the sculpting and the working is go- goes on unseen for the most part by others. It happens internally. We might share those struggles with one another, but no one can see them really. We only surmise them. We only seem to have an idea of what it is one may have been going through, but none of us knows what any of us really goes through. Because God's work is his work in you. But what people see is a building that goes up, that goes up seemingly effortlessly, or maybe that's not quite right, but it goes up, and when we turn around and get a perspective on it, we see how beautiful that building really is. That's what our lives are like as the Lord is building us into little images of Messiah. That is what Beth Ariel is about. As he builds our congregation as an image of Messiah, founded upon him, built with the tools of God's word, and over the process of time. So that at the end of our days, we look back, we see what God has done. So if we want to be involved in what God is doing, Paul tells us, and you know, it makes me think, he repeats two, three times the very same themes. Made me think as a student how often the teacher would say, I already told you that, Gary. Let me explain it again. Let me explain, you didn't get it right. Let me explain it again. It was important enough for the teacher, perhaps, to repeat herself or himself for me to get. Paul must think this is critical stuff in chapter 14 and 15, that he repeats himself over and over and over again because we're very resistant to it and we don't easily learn it. But over time, we will see the value of building one another up, encouraging each other, and then over time, seeing what it is that God has built. Not only in our lives, but in our community and in our city here in Los Angeles. Remember, Yeshua at the end of the Sermon on the Mount tells us of a parable. And he says there are two men, one who built his house on sand. So that when the chiseling work in the quarry began, the house fell. The winds blew and the foundation eroded. But when we build on Messiah, who is a firm foundation, a rock upon which we can stand, then when the chiseling work occurs in the quarry, and when the external pressures come to bear, the foundation will stand and the house will withstand the pressures it 
will face. And we can be a part of helping one another in that process as we build one another up and encourage one another in their walk of faith and in the ministries that go on here that our congregation would be a manifestation of Messiah himself.